Good morning, everybody. Always like whenever you get up here and God's already spoke so much and it lines up perfect to worship and you know, it just it almost seems like a serious day when God starts speaking to you in worship and then through words and then you're like, whoa, something's going on. And uh, I agree with all of them. They they did a great job. And uh, I'm going to start out in Matthew six verse twenty five, and uh, I want to share this this scripture first, and uh, then we're going to pray. So. Matthew 6, verse 25 says, uh, actually, verse 31, it says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. So let's pray. Father God, I pray today, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would prepare us for what you want to speak to us, Lord. God, I pray that I would get out of your way and you would speak through me and also to me, God. Let none of us walk out of here the same as we came in, Lord, and help us be ready to receive what you have exactly for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I love those words of, uh, of both Josh and Pastor Chad and even Jason. It was, uh, we, we sometimes get distracted about what's going on in the world. And we, uh, I mean, this weekend, no different. If you see what's going on out there with blackouts all over the place, the, the media fighting each other, the politics fighting each other. And, and as Pastor Chad said, we... We have a place we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be right in God's presence. And that's what the scripture says, is when we seek Christ first and his righteousness, everything else will be taken care of. Right? Sometimes we get so distracted by the world that uh, we forget where we're supposed to be. So I want to talk about those very things today. I want to talk about uh, where we should be at. You know, Pastor Chad had the message last week of that we need to be transformed. And how that's a that's a time period. It's not a instant an instant happening. You don't you don't get saved and immediately you're transformed to who God wants you to be. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight, but it can only happen if you're where you're supposed to be at. So sometimes we forget that, and uh, we think you know because we are of the American dream thing. We think things should happen quickly, you know. And, Pastor Chad talked about the losing weight and the New Year's resolutions and how I think it said 80 some odd percent or 90 some odd percent never play out. They never come to uh, pass. So it, uh, I, mean, I really prayed about that this week. And, and uh, something the Lord always showed me was so many people have the goal in life of losing weight. They're like, I want to lose 20 pounds by this time period. Most of them never make it, but if they do make it, the next month they got all their weight back. Right? You're like, whoo, I hit it. I lost the weight. But your goal is losing weight. And that's a, a very uh, small goal. That's not a very big goal because that goal only uh, addresses the consequences of a deeper issue. Right? It's kind of like whenever you have uh, flu 
and, and you're taking cough medicine. Well, it's not going to get rid of the flu. It's only going to help your cough. Right? There's a deeper issue in that. And so whenever you're, you're making these thought processes of, I want to lose weight, that's, that's never going to be right. Actually, what you should be doing is saying, I want to be healthy. I want to get healthy. Instead of, I want to lose weight. Because when you want to lose weight, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to get to the point to where you're like, man, this week I didn't lose anything, but I felt like I was doing so good. Or maybe you lost five pounds this week, and next week you put a pound on. We all know that muscle weighs more than fat. So if you're out working out, you're going to put on muscle, and it's going to take a long time to actually lose weight. But you may be healthier than you were the week before. right? So the, the process of uh, change and uh, transformation should not be about the, the results you see, but about the change inside of you. Right? And that's what we have to uh, be focusing on, right? And I, I loved Pastor Chad's message last week. It, uh, man, it hit. It was, it was such a good word. But we have to be the kind of people who realize that it's a, like he said, it's a, it's a, goal, it's a process that we, we take part of, right? So if I'm wanting to get healthy, eventually I may lose weight, but instead maybe I, I join a gym and I start exercising. Maybe I start eating healthier. Maybe I change the amount of food I eat at a time. Maybe I just change a lot of things in my life, and eventually I start getting healthier, and there's a change within me. And it, all the, the um, symptoms of, of my bad habits will start actually lining up with what the change inside of me is. Right. So I want to talk about some people in the Bible and Scripture uh, who just weren't where they should have been and how sometimes we relate to these people. And if uh, we go through them, I want you to just kind of don't think like, yeah, that's Keevan. Or yeah, you know, Josh Brywell will need to hear that one. It's not about somebody else in this, in this room. It's about you. Right? The words God speaks to us is not so we can point out somebody else is being wrong. I've, I've never read a scripture in the Bible that I don't feel like God just said, hey, that's you, man. Right? No matter how good I think I've been, whenever I read the scripture, I'm like, oh, yeah, I failed again. Right? But it's not about that. It's about changing. It's about, uh, it's about like God doing a work in us. So I want to go to Jonah 4. We know Jonah, uh, other than Peter, may be the most stubborn person in the Bible. And, uh, it's not right in the head, it didn't seem like. like. The guy knew God. He loved God. He heard from God. But he disagreed with God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm that way. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. That shouldn't be that way, right? So Jonah is told to go preach to Nineveh. God said, go and preach to them. I want you to do this. Instead, he flees because he hates Nineveh. He thinks he knows better than God. No, I don't want to do that. Right? He he runs out and he goes to, uh, oh, what is it, Tarshish, Tarshish and he, get, he runs, he flees, and along the way he's on the boat, and we know that the people realize he's not right with God. So he said, you got to throw me over the, over the uh, side of the boat, and they do. It's eaten by a giant fish, which if that's not God taking care of us in our stupidity, I don't know what is. But how many times have you done something you knew you shouldn't be doing, but somehow God still protects you in it? 
And you can either sit there and it's like, I can't believe I'm in this nasty fish because I imagine it stunk something fierce. The, the, the bile and everything that would have been in there. I remember Pastor Rob once teaching on this and they actually did a study on what would have happened there and the smell that, that Jonah would have had in that moment would have been horrible. Like just the stuff that would have been around him would have been terrible. But he, he thought he knew, I don't even know if he knew he thought he knew better. He just didn't want what God had for him. Right? So he's in the, in the belly of this well. He gets spit out and he, he's praising God and he said, God, I'll go. And he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. And everybody, the scripture in, in Jonah 3, it tells us that everybody in Nineveh, from great to small, repented and turned to God. Everybody. Now, Nineveh is the size of Evansville, Indiana, population-wise. Now, imagine if you went and preached a message tomorrow in Evansville, Indiana, and everybody got saved. Greatest moment ever, right? I mean, you can probably walk on water, clouds, whatever, because that's a testimony. That is a that is some fruit of your labor, right? So it should be a thing that is such a joyous moment. But not for Jonah. Still stubborn Jonah in Jonah 4 says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious God, a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Now, somebody needs to hear that. Somebody here needs to remember that God is a gracious God. He's a merciful God. He's slow to anger, and he abounds in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He's not a God who wants to punish us at everything. He's not a God that wants to wipe everybody out. Any time in Scripture that we've ever seen God have to get like punish a people, it was after time and time again of Him trying to get our attention, such as may be happening in our country right now, trying to get our attention. That, uh, and, and if you don't think He's trying to get our attention, just look around. Right? I've, uh, so many people are happy 2020 is over, but I think 2020 is one of the greatest years of our nation. And I believe it's one of the greatest years of our nation because I believe it is the time period God was trying to get our attention. It is the time period where God's trying to say, hey, where are you at? What are you doing? And if you can't look at what was going on in 2020 and realize there's change that needed to be made, then you're stuck in the past. You're stuck where you're at. Right? You're not where you should be. Uh... Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. I mean, he's throwing a hissy fit. He's being a little crybaby is what he's actually doing. And how many of us throw a fit when God's doing something that we don't agree with? How many of us complained over... over uh, coronavirus, and we see growth happen all around us, but we don't like it. We see changes happening that are for the better, but we don't like it because it's not happening in the way we want it to happen, but we throw a hissy fit. We're like, I ain't doing it. This is stupid. 
right? And that's what Jonah's doing. He's out there throwing a hissy fit. He sat under it in the shade till the till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it cover over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So here he is out here where he put himself. Not where God wanted him to be. He's the one that ran outside of the city to throw a little fit. And God produces this plant to cover him and give him shade. Pretty amazing that over and over for Jonah, he's provided, right? I mean, this is the same guy that had to be thrown in the sea, giant fish take over and keep him safe, and now he's still running from God, right? Said God said, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? So here he is still angry. God provided it. God took it away, but he's still angry. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and all instead of sitting around grumbling about it. How many times do we complain about people more than trying to love people where they're at? Imagine how great Jonah's life would have been if he would have never complained at all. And God said, hey, go speak to Nineveh. And he's like, wow, there's going to be salvation there. I want to go do this. And he just did it. It would have been a lot shorter book. It wouldn't have had to go for the four or five chapters that it is. It could have been one. It could have just been the part of them getting saved and him worshiping and praising with them, and it would be a great day, but that's not how human beings work. You know, I forget the exact amount of number, but it's like hundreds of thousands of thoughts human beings have in a day. Hundreds of thousands. And on average, over 82% of those thoughts are negative. On average. But kind of let you know that Jonah was just human. Just like we're just human. But we can learn from Jonah by not making the mistakes of having to be thrown in the sea and swallowed up by a giant fish. It, uh, we probably won't be thrown in the sea, but we, we walk around pretty miserable often. We walk around unhappy thinking there's got to be something better than what we see and there is. It's being where God puts you. Being where God wants you to be. Right? And uh, I'm going to go over to John 4 now, from Jonah to John, both chapter 4. And here's another person who's uh, just not quite right where they need to be. And... Uh, we look at this story different sometimes. It says, Now when Jesus leaned or learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples did, 
he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. They had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, some of you already know, but sixth hour would have been noon. It would have been noon. It would have been the heat of the day. It would have been super hot. Women went out to draw water early in the morning before the heat of the day. Unless they were outcasts. Unless the other people didn't want them around and then they tried to avoid people and they would go out later in the day and it'd be miserable and life wasn't good for them. And that's the way it worked in Samaria. That's the way it worked anywhere in that time period. If you were not accepted, you weren't allowed around the rest of the people. Kind of like now, when you're not accepted, you just avoid everybody. Now, I don't know. Well, we'll get into this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Now this was, uh, Samaritans were considered a lower class people. They didn't have the same rank as a Jew. Jew were the people of God. Samaritans were the opposite of that. They were not a people of God. They believed in God. They worshipped God. But they, everybody seen them as a second class citizen. Right? But it was also unsafe for a Jew to be there. And it was also not supposed to happen for Jews to be there. Because they seen them as a lesser people. And that's why she's saying these things. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. And uh, how often do we say God's doing nothing for me? God has, I don't think God can take care of me. I don't think, you know, I know God can but I don't think he will, or I don't know that he will. And that's kind of where this woman is. She knows God's real, but she has no idea who it is in front of her and his capabilities. So where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. He's still thinking he's talking about regular water. But there is something different about this woman. She uh, said she is an outcast. She does know about Jacob, but we're going to find out in a minute here. She actually has a heart for God. She's somebody who wants to be close to God. She just doesn't have the capability. Okay, so I want you to think of that. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Usually, 
this scripture is one that would quickly throw a title on this woman and saying she's an adulterous woman. She's been divorced five times, but we really don't know. It doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us what happened to the five husbands. We don't know. This lady could have been just like Jesus talked about before whenever the people came and said, hey, what about the woman who got married? Her husband dies in battle. She marries his brother. He dies in battle. He marries his brother. He, how do we know she didn't marry five guys who died? But quickly it's put on her that she's an adulterous woman. She could have five husbands that died and people said, oh, she's cursed. Stay away from her. We don't know her circumstances. But we often put on her that she was a horrible person, but we don't know. We really don't know exactly what's happening. We do know that she's now living with a guy she shouldn't, but that could have been because she had nowhere else to go. We don't know her circumstances, right? The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I would say so. Somebody came up and told you everything you never met ever came up to you and said, well, now somebody said that, you'd be like, this guy's been stalking me, right? That's what we'd say now, like, he must have the internet or something. But back then, she was wise enough to realize it. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming where... When neither of this, on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father. Now she's actually asking about worshiping God. She took it right to worshiping God. She wasn't phased at all about the husband part. Her whole thing is still, we're, we're lesser people. You guys said so, right? It tells me her heart is thinking in that way. How do we worship God? It says, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I like this part, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Powerful. She believed the Messiah was coming. She actually had hope for when the Messiah comes. A lot of people thought when the Messiah was coming, he was going to just be the person to overthrow the government. They thought in worldly terms, not her. She said, he will tell us all things. She was waiting for Messiah to save her. She was waiting for something bigger. Like I said, she may have been an adulterous woman. I don't know. We don't know what her case was. And I don't know what everybody else's case is, but we do know that the Messiah came already, and he knows all things, and we need to be there. Right? Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. And this be the Christ. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Now we know everybody goes there and most of the town gets saved because of her because she received what she had and could not stop talking about it. Quickly she shared her testimony. Right? 
quickly she shared her testimony. Like, when you have Christ, whenever you're where you should be and you're in that moment with the Messiah, she's sitting there looking face to face with the Messiah. Everybody else he said that to couldn't fathom it. Right? He's talking about, I'm the Son of God. I'm, and they're all sitting around thinking, like, what's that mean? What's this look like? And they have all the. Not her, she leaped. She was ready. She knew that she was sitting there and the Messiah took time to come speak to her. And she quickly went out and began sharing. This is a woman before who was there in the, at the noon hour because she didn't feel like she belonged. This is a woman who always was the outcast. This is a woman who was living with a man she shouldn't be living with. She was in places she should not be. She actually wanted to be in Jerusalem worshiping where the Jews worship, but she couldn't. She wasn't where she should have been, and we're not always where we should be because we think we're still holding on to our past. We're still holding on to the fact that it's hard for me to get in God's presence because of this, that, or the other. But the moment she had that moment with Jesus, she ran out and shared her testimony. He ran out and told everybody. We're going to leave here today. We're going to go eat. We're going to go home, take a nap. We're going to go see family. We're going to do something. But do we go out and tell everybody that what the Lord told us today? Do we go out with excitement and be like, you would not believe? Do we have those moments to where we say anything? When you show up on Monday morning, everybody's like, how's your weekend? Usually you're like, you know, I went and did this, I went and did that. Is it ever like you wouldn't believe what Jesus did? Because the heart isn't always in the right place about what Jesus did for us, right? This woman got it. People got saved because of it. And I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. And uh, listening to Francis Chan the other day, and I love this uh, thought process of, and I'm only sharing this because this woman shared her, her testimony and people's lives were saved. And later on, the people say, we believe because we had an encounter with Jesus, not because of what you said. Later on, that's what they say. We believe because we had that home. Francis Chan is talking about uh, cake. Right? I, you're like me, you love cake. I know Ralphie loves cake. You're like me, we love cake. Right? We love cake. And it, uh, here we go, got a lot of hands. Cake is great. If I read, if I show you a menu and it has all the ingredients of this cake in it and it starts telling you what's in the cake, you're going to be like, man, that sounds pretty good. I'll have to try that sometime. Right? Because the ingredients sound good. But if I'm sitting up here and I have a piece of cake sitting in front of me and I eat that cake and I'm like, whoa, this is the best cake ever. I think it has this, this, and this in it, but like the taste, I've never tasted anything like it. It's so amazing. You have to try this cake. What are you going to do? You're going to want to order that cake. You're probably not even going to wait. It's different whenever you see the ingredients in something, but it's different whenever somebody gives you their testimony in something, right? She could have went back and told people, you know, Messiah will be here one day. He'll tell us everything that's going on. Uh, we'll be able to worship. Uh, 
normal. We won't have to, you know, be in a lesser place of worship. You know, she had all the facts about the Messiah, but she wasn't changed. Whenever she had an encounter with the Messiah, and she goes and she tells everybody, proclaims about how amazing that is, people wanted it. Our testimony makes people want to experience Christ. When we go to school, to work on Monday or school, wherever we go to, and we share about what God did in our lives, it's a lot different than whenever we're just reading Scripture and trying to tell people Scripture. Jesus said in Scripture, doesn't even, people don't understand Scripture until the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. But we're always trying to push Scripture down everybody's throat instead of our testimony, instead of our witness. Remember that. The Word of God is a sword used for defense and for attack on, the, on evil, right? Or it's used to, to help us grow that are who know Christ and it's being revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. That's why so many people are unsaved. Like, I, I tried to read the Bible. I can't get it. No, you can't get it. The Holy Spirit's not revealing it to you. But you can get my testimony. Right? Okay, we'll move on. Matthew 14. This is one you guys are going to hear me start reading it, and you're going to know where I'm going, but you, you may not. Matthew 14, verse 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed, dismissed the crowd. Now, why did they get in the boat? Jesus told them to. And it was immediately afterwards, after the feeding of the 5,000, after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffered by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They said and cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately said, to them, take courage in his eye. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, as I was praying about this message, and God tells me this is the scripture he wants me to use, I'm like, I don't get it. This is scripture about faith. This is scripture about, you know, Peter having enough faith to walk a little bit, but fell when he got distracted, right? That's what this scripture is about. So I, I didn't understand until I start reading through it and I realize Peter wasn't supposed to walk on water. Peter was told to get in the boat. That's what Peter was told. What did, he, what did Jesus say? Get in the boat. Literally the words. Get into the boat and go. Never once did he say walk on water. Right? But Peter saw Jesus on the water and he said, I want to do that. And sometimes when we want to try something, God gives us that chance to try it. All right, come on. And then we fail. He lifts us up and put us back where we need to be. Right? Because we do that. We're like, oh man, I see him over there and he's doing this and I'm like, I'm going to try that. And then it fails for me because God never wanted me to do it. It wasn't where I was supposed to be. And God will lift me up and put me back to where I need to be. 
Peter should have never walked on water. But God lovingly enough, Christ lovingly enough, said, hey, come on, try it. And he had enough faith to do it a little bit. We always point out that, hey, he got distracted. Let me tell you something. Nobody in Scripture who was not deity has ever walked on water. Nobody. But he did pretty good. He did pretty good, but he was never supposed to be there. That's why in the other two scriptures, in Mark and John, you don't see him try it. They don't even mention it. Because of them, it wasn't even that big of a deal. They cover the exact same story, and they leave Peter out of it. There's a bigger deal that happens here than just walking on water. Everybody's always like, you're not walking on water because you're not trying. Maybe you're not walking on water because God don't want you to walk on water. Right, if he wanted us to walk on water, Peter probably would have been successful. Wouldn't you think? He wouldn't say, hey, nobody else has done it, but now you're going to do it. Right? He's probably not going to say that. He probably gave us an example of somebody stepping out of the boat and walking on water. He said, be in the boat. Get in the boat. We're going to go do what we're supposed to do. So the Lord said to him, come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I'll tell you another way you know that Peter probably shouldn't have been there. If God thought he, Jesus really thought he could walk on water, he probably wouldn't have told him to get in the boat in the first place. He probably would have said, hey, you guys walk across the water, get to where we're going. This is somewhere between a 13 and 18, it's 13 by 8 mile uh, sea is what the Sea of uh, Galilee was. And that's where they're going. I don't know if they're going across the 8 mile part, 13 mile part, I don't know how it was. But they could have walked it. They walked a lot of places. They're in the middle of the storm anyway, and the waves are against them, so they weren't moving very fast. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And he lifts him up. Right? And it says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. They worship him. Stop the storm. And we know that sometimes he'll go through the storm with us, and sometimes he'll stop the storm. But you stay in that boat, and you get Jesus in that boat with you. Wherever Jesus calls you to be, make sure he's there with you. Right? If he tells you to be there, he'll be there with you. The same version of this is in John 6, verse 16. And, uh, I'm going to read it because I like this version. This version tells me where I need to be. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and set off across the lake to Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened, but he said to them, it, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. That, to me, is a miracle. Jesus walking on water is a miracle, but the fact that when Jesus is in the boat, they immediately got to where they were. We don't know how it happened, but we know it's somewhere between 13 and 8 miles they were going. 
They were only three or four miles in. Jesus climbed in the boat and immediately they were right where they needed to be. How about that? Maybe instead of trying to climb out of where God has you at and trying to do something different, we ask Jesus to be a part of it and immediately we may get where we're going. Immediately. Right? Jesus never reprimanded Peter because Peter was just trying to follow Christ. He was trying to do something. Wasn't what Jesus told him to do, but he was trying. And sometimes we're going to mess up and we're going to get out of the boat and we're going to try to do something we're not supposed to do. And Jesus will lift us up. That's the thing, though. When Peter started sinking, he didn't swim back to the boat. He reached up for Jesus to get in there. Right? When we're falling and we're failing, we reach up to Jesus and he'll get us where we need to be. In Mark, it's almost the same thing. It doesn't say he immediately did. He said It says the storm calmed, right? We know when Jesus is in the boat, something's different. And it, uh, and I love that scripture. So I think we need to make sure we're, we're not trying to just go out and follow things. I think that's kind of where the church in America gets uh, gets in trouble sometimes. We're trying to make things happen instead of being what Christ calls us to be and allow Him to make it happen. So, just a different way for you to look at that scripture. And those are conflicting scriptures. A lot of people are like, well, one of them says he's going to uh, uh, Capernaum. The other one says they were going to uh, get the name of the city. Three different cities are mentioned in that, and uh, Galilee's one of them. But three different cities, but they're all right there next to each other at the edge. And this is actually one of the scriptures that uh, that people who are trying to investigate the Bible will use to, to say that it is uh, valid. Because if they all three would have said the same thing, you would have knew it was a made-up story. But they're all given different details about how they saw it. Right? Matthew thought it was very interesting that Peter walked on water. The other two didn't even see that part. They didn't pay attention. Now, if you and I were sitting around talking about uh, something we did which these were written somewhere between 20 and 60 years after Christ's death. So 20 years from now, we're all looking back on something we did, you know, that was really cool. We're all going to be thrown in different details. Oh, yeah, I remember this part. And you'd be like, oh, yeah, I forgot that. Right? That's how you know it happened. If everybody remembered the exact same thing, it was a made-up story. Um, okay. So Luke 10, another person who... Uh, person who just wasn't where they should be. Now as they went, this is uh, verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by with much serving. Much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. We do a lot of serving. As a church, as a people, uh, as a father, as a mother, as a child, it doesn't matter what you do, you are serving people all the time. You know, as a husband and a father, you may say, I gotta work hard, I gotta do this, I gotta provide all the needs for my family, I gotta 
got to make sure we're at church. I got to do this. And you have this long list of things that you got to do, and it's a servanthood. As a mother, you got the same thing. I got to make sure my kids are taken care of. I got to make sure the house is taken care of. I got to make sure my husband's fed because you know, sometimes he forgets. Things like that. There's always stuff that we have to do in life all the time. There's a long list. And oftentimes we see everything we're doing and we wonder why somebody else isn't helping. Why are they not doing it? Why has this person got it different than me? And we get distracted, right? And we want everybody to be doing what we're doing. Even in ministry, we can get distracted so much with ministry that I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do this. Why do I not have help? Right? And that's where Martha was. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. Probably everything Martha was doing is considered right and good to people. It's what she should be doing. And as we've shared here many times, and the prayer group prays about all the time, good is the enemy of great. She's doing what's good, but there's something greater, there's something better that she forgot. She was so distracted by life and what she normally would have done and what she was, you know, we know she's a busybody from all the other scriptures we see of her. But she was taught that these were the things she should do. And she was doing what she knew to do and what was deemed as the right thing to do. And she was distracted. She wasn't where she should be. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things. It's like the first scripture. We get anxious and troubled by everything in the world. We get distracted. But one thing is necessary. Boy, catch that one thing is necessary. Think about your life. Think about your la- just this last week. Don't think about 2020 because that's really a distraction in that. Think about last week. How many things in your life were necessary in your mind and in your heart? How many things were like, I got to do this, I got to do that, this has to be done, this has to be done? Think about everything that was necessary in your life. And you say, hey, one thing. One thing is necessary. Not all of them. One thing is necessary. But we allow everything else to become a bigger necessity than what it should be. He said one thing. Let me tell you something. Like you're like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. That's easy. You know, you can say that, but we know we have to do these other things. And when the Lord of everything, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ Himself said there's only one thing necessary, you can count that to be truth. You can count that to be truth. He said one thing is necessary. But we make the world a lot harder than it needs to be. That American dream Josh was talking about. It's all these things in the world Pastor Chad was talking about distracting us, right? He said one thing. One thing is necessary. How can you get more simple and more simplified in the easier life than one thing being necessary? Because we know from earlier... In Mark 6, and he said, everything that you worry about, if you seek God first and you seek righteousness first, the rest will be taken care of. But we get distracted by taking care of everything ourselves and worrying about it and wondering how it's going to get done and all this. And Jesus said, I will do it. 
One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will, which will not be taken away from her. I don't have to go out and figure out who's right or right, wrong in the politics. I don't have to go out and figure out why there's blackouts. I don't have to go out and figure out everything else. All i got to do is seek Christ. He'll show me what I need to know and take care of me in the way I need to be taken care of. Not that you can go be lazy. You still have to do what he tells you to do, and you still got to do what you're called to do. But what's necessary, seeking Christ, being with Jesus. That's what's necessary. In the end, when we all die, nothing you did yesterday will matter except for the time you seek Jesus. Not one thing. Except for the, the, the Jesus stuff. So all that's going to go with you. And if there was no Jesus stuff, then you wasted a whole day. You haven't had time with Christ and grown closer to Christ for a week. You've wasted a whole week. You haven't done it for a month. You wasted a month. Think about how much time we waste every day doing what's not necessary. One thing is necessary. One thing. I'm going to close it with this scripture and uh, have a few things I'll share after it. But Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, and I've told you before, this is the scariest thought to me. It's one that, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You can do a lot of things in God's name. You can walk around saying you're a Christian. You can walk around saying, Scripture says this, Scripture says that, but if you're not actually in the place God wants you to be, if you're not actually sitting at His feet, if you're not actually in that close, right relationship with Him, if you're not where Christ wants you to be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all waste or dung is what Paul would have called it. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is one thing that's necessary in our lives. Don't complicate it. We overcomplicate life. It's very simple. And uh, I've shared my, my testimony on this stuff before about how whenever I came here, whenever I was trying to come to this church, whenever I was invited, I couldn't find it, so I was going to go home. Right? And uh, God said, if you don't go, you'll never go. Which my thought process is, what do I care? I've never been there. Right? That's my thought process. So I'm driving down the road and I realize I need to turn into this area and I come over and it's next to the bingo hall and I'm like wow this is weird why do they got a bingo hall and uh, and I pull into the parking lot and for those of you who may not have been here before the last few years you know this parking lot used to be way worse than it is even now so I'm sitting in there and I'm like wow there's no way I'm coming back to this place right you know, I walked in the door God said you're home where you need to be, right? And I've shared this testimony, and God's done a lot through me and in me and to me and for me after walking in this door because I was where I was supposed to be.
but I've shared my testimony with you, but I want to share another one with you. It's not my testimony, but I got permission to share this. And it's Stephen. A couple years ago, uh, geez, I don't know, probably three or four years ago, probably four years ago, I guess. And uh, I think I was preaching. I think it was right before Pastor Chad got here, actually. Uh, but we talked about the prayer group and just all the work God was doing as a prayer group. I didn't know. I knew that there was people who were supposed to be in the prayer group. Everybody in the prayer group knew it. But for some reason, they weren't showing up. So we just kept praying. We're like, God, we don't know. We just know they're supposed to be here. Right? We can't force people to be where they're supposed to be. People have to do it on their own, right? After service, Stephen comes up to me and he says, Hey, Eddie, uh, I need to be in prayer group. God's been telling me for quite a while that I need to be there. And every night, something happens. Every Thursday night, I get distracted. I don't feel good. Something happens that I just can't get there. But I know I'm supposed to be there, right? Well, the first thing he did was recognize he was not where he was supposed to be. That's the first thing he recognized. He knew God was calling him to do something. And he wasn't there. So I prayed for him. We prayed together. And I was going to hold him accountable. But how many of you know that sometimes it just takes admitting that you're not where you're supposed to be to get where you need to be? Sometimes you got to admit it. That Thursday night, I told the prayer group before Kevin showed up that Kevin's supposed to be here, so we prayed. And shortly after, he walked in. And sometimes whenever you're not where you're supposed to be, it's because you're thinking like, ah, I don't know how I'll fit there. I don't know what it'll look like. I don't I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to connect. And I'm sure that's the way Kevin felt. I'm sure he's walking in like, I don't know. I, this is bigger. It's hard. It's tough. And Kevin walks in, and immediately he was right where he needed to be. Immediately. That group was forever changed because he was where he was supposed to be, right? Our church has changed because now Kevin's in leadership. He's doing a lot of stuff around here. He leads up our hospital ministry. He does a lot here, right? Here soon we're going to have him preaching. There's going to be a lot of stuff you see in Kevin. But it took him being where he's supposed to be for God to use him and to take him where he needed to be. But it takes getting where you're supposed to be. There's so many things that keep you from being where you're supposed to be. And they're good excuses. I just didn't feel good. I was tired. I was working hard. I've been serving. I've been doing all these things, right? I, I'm not worthy like the woman at the well. There's so many different things. I see other people doing this. I'd rather do this than be where God's called me to do, just like Peter. There's so many things that keep us from being where we should be. And every one of you know where you should be. And if you're like, well, I know I'm supposed to be somewhere, but I'm not sure where, you better get in prayer and be at Jesus' feet so he can take you where he needs you to be. But the first place you need to be is at Jesus' feet. But Mary didn't go anywhere specific. She just sat right where she was supposed to be. That's what she did. And there, there's a uh, few things I want to point out to you in these. And that's, uh, one of them is often whenever we're where God wants us to be, all the unnecessary uh Anxiety and hardships that we may go through, such as Jonah did, wouldn't exist. 
I mean, you're always going to have hardship. The world's going to attack you. But why add more to you? Right? Why add more to you? Look at Paul when he was where Jesus wanted him to be. Didn't matter what come against him. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't soft. He wasn't bitter. He was filled with joy in a prison. But he was right where he was supposed to be. Joy comes with where you're supposed to be. Transformation starts to happen when you're where you're supposed to be. But it's the only way it can happen. Pastor Chad talked about most transformation within a church happens within five or seven years. If you look at statistics for the biggest churches in America, they all grew when the pastor was there anywhere from five to 20 years. What if that pastor lasted four years and said, ah, this ain't working and left? There never would have been transformation. You have to be where you're supposed to be. Only you stand in the way of God using you. Only you. Only Jonah stood in the way of God using you. Nobody else can stop him. Him. All him. Romans 8 says this, says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, follow where God is trying to take you. We're where we're supposed to be. God will use it for his purpose and for good. And even if you're going through struggles like Paul or any of the apostles, they're joining. And you know it's for your good that you're going through these and for God's good. Would you rather go through a, have a miserable life and be of no good or go through some struggles with joy and know you're making an impact for the kingdom? Life's going to be hard either way. I promise you. It's just going to be harder without God. Because when, when Jesus gets in that boat, you'll be where you need to be. Do not get distracted with what others are doing or what they're saying. We're easily distracted people. We watch the, the, the other big things. We watch this ministry maybe doing this, or I see this person doing that, or... You know, I, I see this guy got this kind of ministry and we, we start focusing on what other people are doing or we hear somebody else saying, you know, you should be doing that. You know, the Samaritan woman was really distracted because she always knew what was right and wrong and she was listening to the wrong voice. But whenever Jesus told her who she was and Jesus came to her and Jesus was there and she was in that boat with Jesus, couldn't help but rejoice and, and spread the gospel of what Jesus did. We need to stop listening to outside voices. Right? Do not allow yourself to get too busy doing what is good that you miss what is best. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And sometimes we get distracted knowing what's good and what we need to be doing and how I, what I should be doing every day. And we forget there's something better and it's what God has for us. What God wants us to do. We really get distracted. And I'm going to tell you, and even for the people at home, you can't do this stuff alone. 
Even Jesus. Even Jesus had people around him. Peter always had people around him. Paul didn't go anywhere without a brother in the Lord with him. Or a sister at times. They always did ministry together. They always worked together. They always did things together instead of trying to carry that burden on their own. The Samaritan woman was all alone at that well. Until Jesus came and became part of her life. Can't do it alone. We need each other. Worship team, you can come up. It, uh, yeah, I just, if we would be willing to make changes in our life to be where God's calling us to be, if we are willing to get rid of the distractions of this world, the American dream, life before 2020, the next big raise, if we're, we allow ourselves to stop being distracted with the things of this world, and we say, Jesus, I want to be right where you're calling me to be. I want to be right there. If we do that, life changes. I bet if you ask even about life before he did what God called him to do, before he was where he should be, and life after where he should be, I tell you, he'd tell you he'd be a whole lot more blessed now than he was before. Before he'd walk around being like, oh, I know I'm supposed to do it. There's torment. There's like, I'm not good. I'm bad. And, and nobody before Keevan showed up to the prayer group would have said, Keevan's not a good guy. Nobody would have ever said Keevan wasn't saved. Keevan was just as saved before as he was after. Keevan still had a heart for God before him. I want you to remember that. You may not be where you're supposed to be, but you may have a, you, you know, you're saved. You're still going to heaven, but God has something better for all of us. So if you guys would stand, you want to bring down the lights. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to, we're going to worship. If you need prayer, uh, we'll be up here. make sure we leave here where we're supposed to be. Even if it's just making that declaration today that we're going to transform, that we're going to allow God to take us where we are. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, didn't do a whole lot when she got where she needed to be right away. We didn't see her full story and what God did with her, but we know there was a change in her. We know she was where she was supposed to be when she left Jesus. see throughout scripture all the time these kind of things happening. We've seen uh, when the uh, Ethiopian man was where he was supposed to be and he heard about Jesus. We didn't, you don't hear anything else about what happened. We just know he was where he was supposed to be. And then later on you realize that Ethiopia becomes a Christian nation and almost everybody in the whole nation got saved. It had to be because that one man was where he was supposed to be. It's the only way it would have happened. Things happen, things change. The world gets better when we're where we're supposed to be. But most importantly, you're better and you're filled with joy instead of anxiety. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for uh, just that you love us, Lord. We know you always have a plan for us. We know that, God, we know your ways are better than our ways. We get distracted thinking we have to take care of things ourselves and 
We get overwhelmed by worldly things about taking care of our own needs. But Lord, you said you would take care of it. You said if we seek you first, if we're at your feet, if we're with you, Lord, and we have you in our boat, you'll take care of it all. You'll use us. You'll do it. We have no worries of this world. that desire for your word and gives that desire to be in your presence, God. 